Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I haven't uh, had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Sean. I'm the student ministry director here at the church, and uh, I'm just incredibly uh, humbled to get to preach God's word uh, to us this morning and really excited to get to close out our series that we've been working through on the book of First John. Uh, if, you're, if you're new uh, here with us this morning, we spent the past uh, few months over this fall going through a series on the, uh, on the book of First John called uh, Walking in Light, Walking in Love, where we've been working through this letter that was written by the Apostle John to, uh, to one of the ancient local churches, probably one of, the, one of the churches in Ephesus. And I get the privilege this morning of uh, taking us home uh, as we look at how John concludes this letter to these dear Christians who had become like children to him. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine that you are the Apostle John. Put yourself in his shoes for a second. So imagine you, maybe you're approaching the end of your life. You're older, and you, these, uh, these Christians who you're writing to, who've become dear to you like children, you, you are getting the sense that you're not going to be around for them forever. And, and you know that hard times are coming for Christians as uh, the Roman Empire becomes more hostile and as even dangerous predators sneak into the church and begin to twist the Bible to suit their own passions. If you were writing this letter to these Christians, what kind of parting words would you leave with them? How would you, how would you end this letter? What, what would be the big thing that you would want them to come away with as they read the end of this letter? Well, what what we'll see from this passage is that John wanted to leave his readers with assurance about what is true of them and about how they ought to confidently live in light of what is true of them. If you have your Bible with me, if you would go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 21. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't, don't worry, we'll have that projected on the screen behind me. And let's look at 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. And eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you uh, for this letter, for this encouragement that you've given us in your word uh, from the Apostle John, this letter written thousands of years ago that still speaks to us today, that still speaks to us about what 
is true of us in Jesus. Father, uh, even as, as we uh, enter, into this, uh, into, in, enter into this sermon, I, I'm aware of my own inadequacy to, to change hearts, to produce change in people's life. But only your word, only your spirit can do that. So Father God, I pray that you would work today in people's hearts, that your spirit would work to bring change, to bring transformation, to bring conviction, and to bring hope and assurance, God, that we would root our lives in what we know is true of us in Jesus, that we would root our lives in this hope and then be able to confidently live for you in light of that. Father, I pray that you would do these things all for your glory. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what we see from the close of this letter is that after having written uh, to these Christians about what distinguishes a true Christian from the world and how they walk in light and walk in love, John provides this closing assurance and exhortation to, the, to his readers to assure them of what is true of them in Jesus and to exhort them to live faithfully for Jesus in light of these assurances. And notice, John uses the phrase, we know or you know. He uses that seven times in this section because he wants to get across to his readers that they can be confident of these things because they belong to God. What I want us to take away from this passage this morning is that these same things are true of you and me if we are trusting in and abiding in Jesus. Because we, as God's children, have put our hope in Jesus. We can know that our Father hears us, that he keeps us, and that he will satisfy our deepest longings through abiding in his Son. Because we, as God's children, have put our hope in Jesus. We can know that our Father hears us, that he will, sa- that he will keep us, and that he will satisfy our deepest longings through abiding in his Son. And John's going to give us three assurances this morning from this passage, three assurances for those who trust in Jesus, which number one is we know that our Father hears and answers the prayers of his children. Number two, we know that we belong to our Father and not to this world. And number three, we know true, all-satisfying life through abiding in Jesus. So let's look at this first one. We know that our Father hears and answers the prayers of his children. Look with me again at verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So right off the bat, there's something that we need to make clear here. These assurances, these things that John says his readers can be confident about, these are only true if you've trusted in Jesus. So from what we know, uh, this church that John was writing to, it had been infiltrated by false teachers, by these people who they claimed to speak for God, and yet they denied the core tenet of Christianity that Jesus of Nazareth was whom he said he was, God the Son in human form who came to die for us and to give us eternal life. These false teachers who had denied this, it seemed like they'd shaken up the church pretty bad, and then a bunch of them had left, which had further disturbed the church. And so John, he's writing this letter to assure these Christians who'd actually stayed in the church that they were the real deal. 
but they did belong to God, unlike these counterfeit Christians, because they actually believed in Jesus and they imitated Jesus through obeying God and loving others. In, in the section right before this that Joe preached on last week, John made clear that the only way a person can have true eternal life from God is by believing that Jesus is who he said he is and by trusting in his death on the cross to make you right with God. For the person who does this, now all these things can be true of them because they've trusted in Jesus. And we see this, this first assurance that John gives is that we can be confident that God hears us because he's our heavenly father. Look at what John writes in verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have been cleansed of all your sins and you have been adopted by God the Father. And because of this, you can know that you always have his ear. Earlier in chapter 3, John wrote that God has shown his love towards us by making us a part of his family. And this means that your relationship with the creator of the universe has been completely and forever transformed. God hasn't changed at all in who he is. He is still all-powerful. He's always existed. He is completely perfect. He upholds the universe together. But now who you are to him has changed. You're his son. You're his daughter. And this means that you can have the most intimate access to the most powerful person in the universe. You can bring all your needs, all your longings, all your hurts to him, knowing that he hears you and that he cares. And if you as God's child have his ear, then you can know that he will answer his child's cry according to what he knows is best. Now, I'm sure for maybe some of you, as we're looking at these verses, maybe the thought crossing your mind is, well, how can this be true that God answers prayers when I know from my own personal experience that God hasn't answered a lot of my prayers? I mean, is this, is this false advertising here? Well, I, I think there's a couple important things that we need to understand if we're going to get this. First of all, the key phrase here is in verse 14, that if we ask according to his will, we're not just talking about God being like some kind of cosmic vending machine. This isn't, we're not talking about a genie from Aladdin who exists uh, to serve our every wish and desire. No, he answers our prayers according to his will. When Jesus was preparing to, to leave the disciples, he told them in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then just a few verses later, he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, the reason that God invites you and me to pray to him, it's not to serve all your desires, but it's to cultivate desires that align with his desires. The reason God calls us to pray is not to serve our desires, but to cultivate desires that align with his desires. He might not give you the job promotion or the house or the car or the spouse or the health or the life circumstances that you want right now because he desires something better for you. He wants to see you transformed from the inside out so that you as his child reflect him by loving the things he loves and hating 
what he hates. He knows that the best thing for you right now is for you to grow in holiness and becoming like him and for you to grow deeper in your relationship with him. When we change our perspective of prayer from seeing God as being some kind of vending machine or maybe as this person who we have to negotiate with to get what we want to instead seeing him as our father, it changes everything. I mean, I, I think about how this, this revolutionized my own prayer life when this started to sink in. I, I, think, of, uh, I think of my own dad who, who's here. Think of, if you don't know him, he's a very generous guy towards his kids. Christmas is coming up and he always goes above and beyond. Both my parents go above and beyond with getting us gifts uh, that we asked for. He oftentimes gets lots of gifts we didn't ask for. goes a little bit crazy with the Amazon cart with throwing stuff in. Oftentimes it's things where it's like, never asked for that, but that's awesome. I actually use this. And I've known since I was a kid that if there was anything I needed, I could come to my dad and I could ask him for that. Not guaranteed that he's actually going to give me everything I want, but knowing that He actually loves me. He actually cares about my needs, and he's going to give me what's best for me. But this is is just a small taste of what God is to us. You know, my dad, just like everyone else, is not perfect, but God is far better. He is a perfect heavenly father that we can come to, that we can bring all our needs, all our wants, all our desires to, And whether you get the answer you want or not, you can draw near to your father knowing he cares more about you than anyone else ever could, that he sees all of your needs and that he will meet each and every one of those with grace because he loves you. And I I recognize as I, even as I say this, that, you know, maybe for some of you today, trying to see God as a father, this image of God as a good father, that, that doesn't really work for you. That doesn't really resonate with you because of your relationship with your own dad. Maybe, maybe he wasn't there for you, or maybe instead of, of experiencing his love, you experienced neglect or, neglect or even abuse. I want you to know, whatever wounds you carry with you from your earthly father, your heavenly father is not like that. That all the things you wish your dad would have been to you, he is that and, f- and far more than you could ever imagine. He is always near to you and he cares for you far more than you could ever know. Our father hears and answers the prayers of his children. And because of that, we should pray big, bold prayers which align with the heart of our father. And I, I know if you've been a Christian for a while, this isn't like new information. But what, you, you probably all know this, but what would it look like? Imagine what it would look like if you actually believed this? I mean, how much more frequently would you turn to prayer instead of striving in your own strength? How much more would you recognize your dependence on God? How much bigger and more persistent would your prayer requests be? John, he gives us one application of this in verses 16 through 17, where he talks about praying for fellow brothers and sisters that they would turn from sin and pursue holiness. And Unfortunately, we don't have time today to get into all the intricacies of what these verses mean and explaining what he's talking about with these sins that lead to death versus sins that don't lead to death. Basically, Cliff Notes version, John is contrasting praying for someone who knows Jesus but is stuck in some kind of sin versus somebody like these false teachers who had so hardened their hearts toward Jesus that there was next to no hope for them. Yeah, I, I think the big takeaway for us from these verses is that we are called not only to pray big prayers for ourselves, 
but also for others. How, how deeply do you desire holiness for your brothers and sisters in the church? How often do you pray for them that they might be transformed into the image of Jesus? If for those Christians who maybe you struggle with to love, how, how, how often are you lifting them up in prayer, praying for God to work in them, praying for God to bless them instead of turning to complaining about them or gossiping about them? If we truly believe that God hears and answers big prayers for us, we must also believe that he can and will answer those prayers in the lives of others. And, you know, I, I can't help but think as well, even, even talking about this, I can't help but think of many of you who are parents who your heart is breaking for your sons or daughters who have wandered from God. And, you know, we might not know what God is doing in that wayward child's life, but as long as there is breath in their lungs, there is still hope that God will move. You know, if that's you as a parent, I want you to know that there is hope because your father hears your prayers as his child. And as you keep praying to him, he will keep drawing near to you. He is able to do far more in your child's life than you could ever ask or imagine. Your father hears you and he wants you to ask big things of him so that he might work in you. Whether you get what you asked for or not, you can be confident that he is at work to make you like him. Now this brings us to the second assurance John gives us, that we know that we belong to our father and not to this world. Look with me at verses 18 through 19. John writes, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John wants his readers to rest in this hope that they belong to God as his children and not to the world, which John wrote about earlier, is opposed to God and is passing away. If you've trusted in Jesus, John writes that you have been born again. You've been born of God. Your heart has been transformed, and you have become and are becoming a new person through Jesus' work. And if you're being transformed to look more and more like your father, then this means that you can't be okay with continuing to live the way you used to live. When John writes that everyone who's been born of God does not sin, he's using this present tense word for sin to convey this picture of sinning as this ongoing process. Basically, it's a habit. It, it, you aren't changing and you don't want to. But John's very clear throughout this letter that you cannot have Jesus and still keep clinging to your old ways. If you've been made new and have been brought into his kingdom, you cannot keep going back to those things that used to enslave you. Now, to be clear, what John's not saying, he's not saying that Christians never struggle with sin. Listen to, this is really important, listen to what he writes all the way back at the beginning of the letter in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He writes, If we ha- say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've trusted in Jesus to make you right with God, 
the last thing I want you to hear today is that you'll never sin or, or that if you do sin, that it means you don't belong to God. But what I do want you to hear is that if you claim to know Jesus, this means your life should change. You can't be okay with staying the way you are, with living your life the way you want to live instead of aligning your life with the way God calls you to live. We are, you know, we called this series Walking in Light and Walking in Love because these two images, these are the ones that John uses throughout the letter to illustrate what it looks like to belong to God, that those who belong to God will demonstrate this through obedience and through love, through conforming their lives to what God has commanded in his word and through loving God and others. If you claim to know God and belong to him, you cannot ignore or reject what he's commanded you to do in his word. And you cannot live with hatred or even indifference to other people who are made in his image. The whole reason that he sent his son to die on the cross for you was not so that you could just be forgiven and then keep living life the way you want the same way. Where you decide what is right, where you put your interest first. No, Jesus died so that you might be forgiven and transformed. See, we're not just talking about behavior modification here. Christianity is not about how maybe you used to drink or party or do drugs or sleep around or you struggle with anger management or you use people, but now you've turned over a new leaf and you don't do those things anymore. No, the truth is that you are incapable of producing any real lasting change in yourself, at least any kind of change that will make you acceptable to God. No, you needed someone to come and to die for all the ways that you've hurt God and hurt other people and someone who rose from the dead to make all things new, including making you new from the inside out. If you've trusted in Jesus to make you right with God, he calls you to turn from sin and to live for the glory of God and the good of others. Not because you can muster up enough willpower in and of yourself to change yourself, but because he is changing your desires to align with his. As you keep, as you seek keep seeking to walk in his light and walk in his love, he will keep working in you to change you so that your desires, to keep working to change your desires so that you will then change your actions. And whenever you fall short, instead of feeling like you need to hide or minimize your own sin, or instead of falling into the mire of self-condemnation, you can look to Jesus who died for you so that you can be completely forgiven and cleansed. And then you get back up and you keep walking in his light and walking in his love. If you're feeling stuck right now in some particular sin and you want to be free, but you keep finding yourself going back to your old ways again and again, there is hope in Jesus. If you're trusting in him, you belong to him and you've been made new through him and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. You know, as I was preparing this message, I was talking with Katie about, uh, about these points about the passage, and she reminded me of this uh, famous quote from the great theologian Daniel Tiger. Um, Daniel has, in, he has this one song where he's talking about sometimes you can feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. You can be happy he's out flying his kite and then disappointed that the kite doesn't fly as well as he wanted to. But you know what? In a sense, this is kind of true for every Christian that we can both feel the weight of our sin and sorrow over it and yet experience the freedom of forgiveness and the hope that God is working in us. Martin Luther, the reformer, called this being both a sinner and a saint at the same time. You know, we still fall short again 
and again. But God's grace towards you in Jesus is there every time, and he will continue his renewing work in you for the rest of your life until one day you stand perfected before him. Your hope and your confidence today to see change in your life is that is in, that in Jesus there is power to change and to walk in eternal, abundant life that he has provided for you. This brings us to the final point, that we know true, all-satisfying life through abiding in Jesus. Look with me at these last verses, verses 20 through 21. John writes, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. You know, I actually want us to focus on this last verse first because it seems kind of weird that John closes out this letter where he's building to this incredible crescendo of all these amazing truths that are true of us in Jesus, all these things that we can be encouraged and confident in. And then he just ends with this seemingly unrelated sentence about how we shouldn't give ourselves to idols. But I don't think this is unrelated, though. I think that the reason John chooses to end his letter with this final charge is because he wants his readers to see the contrast between trying to find their source of meaning and identity and satisfaction in idols versus finding those things in the only true and lasting source through Jesus. You know, we we don't know exactly what the particular idols were that John's readers were dealing with at the time, whether it was temptation to serve the Greek Greek and Roman gods or what it was. But the fact is that we in our own 21st century post-enlightenment age, we're no more immune to idols than people were in the first century. Our idols are just more subtle and more civilized. An idol is anything or anyone that you put in the place of God to be your source of meaning and identity and satisfaction. An idol is anything or anyone that you put in the place of God to be your source of fulfillment. You know, maybe for you, it's comfort or materialism. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's pride in your own performance and accomplishments as an employee or a student or a parent or an athlete, with these things that define your identity. You know, maybe it's a, a political party or a candidate or an ideology. Maybe it's just your, your desire to always have things your way for you to be in control. But none of these things can satisfy you or give you the life and meaning and purpose that you need. If you keep believing the lie, oh, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be happy. You're just going to find yourself continuing to repeat that for the rest of your life. If you keep running to comfort and materialism for lasting peace, you're only going to come back feeling empty and looking for more. I mean, think about it. We just passed Black Friday, tomorrow's Cyber Monday. Think about last year, Christmas time, all the things you had on your list, all the things you thought, man, if I just had this, my life would be better. If I just had that, my life would be better. I'm willing to guess most of us this year around aren't thinking, you know what? I'm pretty good. I don't need, not going to ask for anything for Christmas. Don't, not going to need anything. No, we keep coming back. We keep wanting more. If you're looking for fulfillment in a relationship with another person, you'll only be disappointed when that person inevitably lets you down. If you live for people's approval, you're only going to be devastated when they reject you. If you live for your own pride and your own performance, You'll be devastated when you fall short of your own standards. When you put your hope for salvation in a political party or candidate or ideology, 
you'll only find yourself growing increasingly angry and fearful towards anyone on the other side of the aisle. And you'll find yourself disappointed when your candidate fails to deliver on their promises or when power inevitably changes hands to the other party next election cycle. If you idolize control and always having things your way, you're always going to live in fear of losing that control and you'll grow to hate anyone who becomes an obstacle to your will. Your idols, even the ones that are good ones, that are gifts from God created for your enjoyment, these can never satisfy you or give you meaning or identity because they were never designed to do that. The only place that you can find this this sort of true, all-satisfying life is in relationship with the living God. This is what John means when he talks about eternal life. See, eternal life, it's not this idea of we raise our hands, say a prayer, do something like that. We get this free ticket to heaven. The afterlife's taken care of. We know whenever we die, we're going to go to heaven, float around in the clouds with the little diapers and the wings and the harps and all that. I mean, honestly, if that was the case, that'd be pretty bad. I would not want to sign up for that. But this is not what John is talking about. This is not what the Bible is talking about. What he's talking about is something that starts now and lasts forever, where we're forgiven and transformed and where we enter into intimate relationship with the living God through Jesus. This is what John is talking about when he writes in verse 20 that we know God and we are in God through being in his Son. You know, we're, we're entering the Advent season now as we prepare for Christmas where we celebrate the Incarnation. And the reason that Christmas is, is such a special holiday for us as Christians is because it's a reminder for us that God loved us so much and wanted relationship with us so much that he sent his son incarnated in human flesh in order that we could know him, in order that we could see what he is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at how Jesus is described in the Gospels. If you want to know the character of God, look at who Jesus is. If you want to know the love of God, look at God's love, look at Jesus' love for you at the cross. This is why John writes in the the beginning of his gospel account. In John uh, chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is how we come to know God, through beholding Jesus Christ. And knowing God and experiencing life in him, that comes that not only comes through beholding Jesus, but it comes through daily abiding in him. One of the ideas that, that John's hit on again and again throughout this letter is that those who belong to God are the ones who trust in him and who abide in him. And Jesus, he, he uses this image of a vine in John chapter 15 to illustrate what this looks like, what it means to abide in him. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to experience this life right now, which can satisfy and fulfill you in a way that your idols never can, Jesus calls you to abide in him. This means that instead of striving in your own strength and ability, you can live like a branch that gets all its life from being plugged in to the vine. Instead of living like the rest of the world where you try to find your source of life in things and people which fall short, you look to Jesus as your source of meaning and identity and purpose. 
instead of striving to be good enough for God, you can live with Jesus' life in your veins where he, where his power is at work in you, enabling you to desire what he wants and to walk in the light of his holiness and in love for God and others. And instead of living in fear of what the future holds when you look at your own circumstances or when you look at the world and you see the brokenness and the injustice and the unrest and corruption and even the sickness and death that permeates it, you can live confident that you are safe in the arms of your Savior. Our reason for hope and, the con- and for confidence, the reason that we can rest in each of these assurances that John provides us, that we know that God hears us as our Father, that we belong to him, and that he will satisfy our deepest longings. All of this can only come through trusting in Jesus and being found in him. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted in him and his perfect life and his sacrificial death to make you right with God, can I just say, first of all, we're, we're glad you're here. We're excited you're here with us. And what would make us more excited is for us to see that become true of you as well, that you can know this confidence that God hears you, that he holds you, and that he will satisfy all your deepest longings with himself. And all of this comes through believing that you're far worse off than you could ever know, and yet you are far more forgiven and loved and accepted in Jesus through his perfect life and sacrificial death for you. And if you do know Jesus, you can be confident that all these things are true of you, and you can live boldly in light of these truths, all because of who you are in Jesus. In him, there is grace to cover all your sin and all your idolatry through his shed blood. In him, there is grace to meet our needs as we seek to walk in his light and walk in his love. In him, there is grace to protect us from evil. In him, there is grace to open our eyes to know God and to open our hearts to be satisfied in his abundant eternal life where we are forever known and forever loved by the living God. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. Would you guys stand and pray with me? Father God, we give you all the glory for what you have done, but we give you all the glory for the confidence we have in you, the confidence that is true of what is true of us in Jesus, that we can know you, the living God, as our Father, that we have your ear, that you hold us, that you are at work in us, preserving us, and that in you is perfect, all-satisfying eternal life. In you and you alone can we hope to have all of our deepest longings satisfied. But we recognize that all these things come to us, not because of anything in us, not because of our worth, not because of what we do for you, but it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of his perfect life, that he was good enough in our place, that he died the death we deserve to die in our place, and that being found in him, all the blessings that are true in him are now true in us. Oh, Father, may, may these truths be things not only that we, that we know, but that we actually believe, that actually change us, that actually transform us, that actually shape the way we live for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, we pray that you would work these things in us for your glory, God. 
and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.